So when I grew up, um, hell is this place of torment, burning fire, you know, the lake of fire. I mean, uh, and there was these tracks that you could hand out, and the tracks all talked about hell as this place to burn, you know, it's burning fire. And if you're a young kid and you're hearing about the choice of heaven or eternally being in this lake of fire burning, yeah, right? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to choose heaven, absolutely. And I, I know that when I was nine at Lake Beauty Bible Camp, I, I did the U-turn and I prayed the prayer. I, I don't remember the message or all that went behind it, but I do remember a number of times growing up as a child of how um, I just didn't want to burn in hell. I didn't think much of it because that's what I was taught. I mean, I was taught that from a little child, and um, then I, I got into Bible college because I was going for youth ministry and eventually on to seminary. And while I was in Bible college, one of my projects was I had to write a paper on my theology of heaven and hell. I really didn't have a theology of heaven and hell. I just... Either you went to heaven or you burned in a lake of fire eternally. <laughs> I mean, that, that was my theology. So I started uh, reading, and part of this theology paper was you had to, you know, uh, list the different views on hell or heaven, and then you, you had to describe the pros and the cons of those views. I mean, where it's biblical and where it, maybe they're stretching things and all that kind of stuff. And it was an interesting project. Uh, be, and as we know, there's all kinds of views on heaven and hell. And one, one of those is, uh, is called universalism. Universalism is that there's multiple roads to get to heaven or paradise or whatever that afterlife is. That's, that's the extreme version. So it's not about Jesus. It's, it's about whatever. I mean, you can be Buddhist. You can be Hindu. Everybody eventually is going to get there. Uh, there's, there's also universal, universalism that is focused on Jesus, meaning that all will eventually get to heaven through Jesus. It, it's that Jesus' love and his grace is so ginormous that everybody's going to get there. There's also a universalism with a, with a little bit of punishment, you know, just for you really bad people out there. That, and that is this, that everybody eventually, again, we all like this, everybody's going to get to heaven peace. We all do. Everybody's going to eventually get to heaven, but for those that don't pray the prayer, don't give their lives to Jesus, don't surrender to Jesus while they're on earth, there's a period of time where there's some punishment going to happen. You're going to pay. And then there's another version of hell, which, or, or this doctrine of heaven and hell, which is the theology or the doctrine of annihilism. Annihilism is simply this. If you don't have Jesus in your heart, when you die, you're annihilated. You're done. Your spirit is gone. Uh, our spirit is not eternal. It was created. So, if it was created, it can be ended. 
So, and, and there's more, and I'm not going to go through all the different views here today. Um, but as I was doing this paper, it was this crazy thing because, uh, you know, there was some like universalism that, was, you know, that all roads lead to heaven. I'm just going, yeah, okay, this, this is way off. Okay, I get that that's not me. Um, but all of a sudden you get into some of this stuff where, well, as you look at their theology of some of these theologians, well, they're not so far off. I mean, it makes sense what they're saying. I mean, they have Scripture to support it. Um, you know, so, and like, really, I mean, and again, I'm not going to dive into it today. One of the most supported theologies of heaven and hell is nihilism. Crazy, huh? And if you're like me and you grew up in a church, in a home that was all about eternal damnation, eternal torment... Uh, and all of a sudden you start going, hmm, there's some good theology around the nihilism. So being, you know, the 19, 20-year-old that I am in Bible college and being as, you know, having it all together, I wrote my paper and I, and I had to def- choose a theology and defend it. Well, I, stick with, I stuck with what I grew up in because that was the easiest. I just want to get the paper done. That's not the only thing that I grew up believing that all of a sudden as I got older and started studying Scripture that maybe there were some other views. I mean, I grew up believing that all Catholics were going to hell. Right? I'm serious. I mean, when I grew up, it was like, yeah, those Catholics, you know. because they prayed to Mary and the Pope was the Antichrist. I think I've been alive for about four Popes, and they've all been the Antichrist. I had a problem, and that was my friend Peggy. She was Catholic, and she loved Jesus. What do I do with that? And Peggy's mom was in a Bible study with my mom. And Peggy's mom loved Jesus too. Oh, that's confusing. Is Peggy going to go to hell? Because my friend Peggy's still a Catholic and she still loves Jesus. But my theology had to change. That's, that's not the only thing. We can, we can talk about spiritual gifts. I, I grew up in a home and in a church where things of the Spirit were not talked about. And then I have my buddy Tim, who I mentioned a couple times, who grew up in the Assemblies of God Church, Pentecostal, and he's now a professor at Oral Roberts University. And he's preached all over the world, and he has seen some pretty crazy things. And all of a sudden, it's like, hmm... Maybe I got some things to learn about spiritual gifts. Oh, there's, there's more controversial stuff. I'm just saying, it, it only gets worse. What about women in leadership and women as pastors? I grew up that that can't happen. Ah, oh, but then. 
I began to see women using their gifts of leadership and women who definitely had the gift of being a pastor. They were shepherds at heart. What do I do with that? And then as I began to study and realize that, holy cow, i got to remember that whatever was written in the Bible was written in an Eastern culture mindset in the first century, and I'm living now, 21st century, in a Western culture mindset. And I have a friend who's a woman, who's a pastor, who has a Ph.D. in Greek. She knows more about Greek than I do. What do I do with that? And what about the relationship between a husband and wife? When all of a sudden as I looked at Genesis and realized the God's original design between, of a relationship between a man and a woman had more to do with oneness then one being the leader and one being the follower because Ezra Konegno, helpmate, has more to do with a man and woman being face-to-face than it does one leading and the other following. All of a sudden, that means I had to think about some things differently. Oh, and what about human sexuality? Oh, no. Be careful, Brad. I grew up, if you were a homosexual, you went to hell. And then I was, went to a men's retreat. I was invited by a friend of mine. This retreat was a retreat that he was running, and it was a retreat where men would go, and they would begin to deal with their father wounds, or the wounds they experienced growing up as a child, and... Uh, Really a powerful thing, and he wanted me to come because he wanted me to invite the men from my church to participate in this, and I meet the three men who I'm rooming with that I've never met before, and all of a sudden I realized that I was there for maybe a different reason, because these are three men. One had been married for probably about 20 years, one was in his late 20s and dating a woman, thinking of getting married. One was in his mid-20s and single. All three of them have wrestled since they were young with same-sex attraction. And they all love Jesus. Oh. And the youngest one was about ready to leave the church. In fact, walk away from Jesus because of this wrestling with the same-sex attraction. He was homosexual, and he'd been taught since he was little. Because he's homosexual, he's going to hell. I, I can go on. It seems like the older I get and the more I read God's Word and study God's Word and the more I interact with the world around me and get to know people from different worldviews and different lifestyles and different ways of life, the smaller 
the circle becomes of the things related to God that I'm absolutely sure of. And bigger becomes the stuff that is a mystery. I, I'm, I'm sure of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died on the cross for my sins according to Scripture. And, and I'm sure of the fact that He was buried and then He rose again on the third day, again according to Scriptures. And I'm, and I'm sure that He appeared to the 500 of His followers and that He ascended into heaven and today sits at the right hand of God the Father according to Scriptures. The older I get, the more confident I am in that. But again, there are things that have nothing to do with salvation that I think that maybe, not that we dismantle everything, but maybe we need to listen to some other people I don't know, what, what about you? I mean, have you ever had questions about things the Bible said? Have you ever wondered, is this really what the Bible says? Is this really what I believe? Has your theology ever transitioned over your life? Or for those of you older, is, is your belief system maybe a little bit different than it was maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago? For those of you that are teenagers and younger, are there a bunch of questions that you need answers for? Or maybe you're just wanting somebody to tell you what to believe. I mean, that's the easy way, right? Pastor, just tell me what to believe on this. Those of you who know me well know that if you're looking for me to tell you exactly what to believe on something, I'm, I'm not your person. I'm going to tell you, hey, when it comes to this issue, here's the theology around this, here's the theology around here, here's the weakness and here's the strength in this one, here's the weakness and strength in this one, go. I'll tell you where I'm landing kind of right now, but I, I expect you to wrestle. And if you're wrestling with some things that you believe or maybe you understand, today's message is for you because love never fails. All that you have dealt with and are dealing with in your faith journey, there is one constant peace. Love never fails. Our text today is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We did the first seven verses last week of chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 12 today, and so you can either open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 8, or you can follow along on the screen above. Paul begins, or continues his conversation about love by saying in verse 8, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease, where there are tongues, they will be stilled where there is knowledge, it will pass away. 
For we, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Last week we began looking at chapter 3, and as I stated last week, I feel that chapter 13 is a climax to all of 1 Corinthians, not just chapters 12, 13, and 14. I, I feel like it, it's what Paul's been trying to say all the way through in one way or another, is that the most excellent way we saw at the end of chapter 12 is love. It doesn't matter what gift you have. It doesn't matter the knowledge you have. It, it doesn't matter the expertise you have or how much of a spiritual giant you think you are. If you don't have love, then as you remember last week, you're a noising symbol. Remember banging on that symbol last week? Or without love, you may think you're something, but you're really nothing Without love, you may sacrifice everything, but you gain nothing. And the reason why is because love never fails. Everything else does. There are three main issues um, that Paul is addressing here. In this passage, he addresses prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, and all three things become a way to prove how spiritual I am. And that's kind of what the church in Corinth was wrestling with. They were wrestling with pride and kind of a competition. Look at me, I can prophesy. Look at how much I can prophesy. Listen to me, I'm a prophet. Or it's, you know, I speak in tongues. Man, I speak the tongues of angels. Listen to me. Or there is a, yeah, but I've got all the knowledge. I'm the intelligent one. Look at me. I know the Torah or the Old Testament better than you, and I, I've got Paul's teachings all down, so listen to me. Ah, yes, but remember, love never fails because, as Paul says, prophecies will cease, tongues will be stilled, and knowledge will pass away. And just so you know, this knowledge, the Greek word is gnosis, which is just general intelligence and understanding. This isn't the same um, you know, spirit of knowledge that we read about earlier in 12. This is just knowledge. It is knowledge that comes from studying and understanding. So Paul's got kind of two spiritual gifts, and then he's got knowledge. It's, it's knowledge, knowing stuff. So all of those three things, which are the three main things the church in Corinth is bragging about and dividing over, Paul says, prophecy, you think it's a big deal, it's going to cease. Tongues, you think that's a big deal, they'll be done. Knowledge, you think you've got all the knowledge in the world, it will pass away. 
Then Paul tells us that the reason why this is going to happen is because we, we know in part and we prophesy in part. You see that? We know in part. Not one of us has all the knowledge. Not one. What I know is I know just a bit of what it comes to the kingdom of God. And those who are prophets or who prophesy, they only prophesy in part. They don't prophesy the whole deal. But, and we see in verse 10, Paul says this, when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And completeness, what is completeness? Completeness is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the complete one. When Jesus returns again, prophecy, tongues, knowledge, done. You see, Jesus is the perfect one. He is the perfect Word of God. We see that in John chapter 1. He is the Word. He is Logos. And so when Jesus comes again, we won't need prophecy. We won't need words, of, uh, words from the Spirit prophetically. When Jesus comes, we won't need to speak in tongues. When Jesus comes, we won't need knowledge because Jesus is all knowledge. So if Jesus is only the complete one, and prophecy and tongues and knowledge are incomplete, maybe we need to look at prophecy and tongues and knowledge with some humility. Maybe we need to make sure that when we do prophesy and we do speak in tongues and we do dispense knowledge that we make sure that it's not about me. It's not about look at me. Look at my knowledge. Look at me. Look at my prophetic word. Look at me. I can speak in tongues. Most of the problems that I've seen over the years around these three things is when... The heart of the issue is pride, selfishness, and an unwillingness to admit that maybe I don't have everything. I mean, we all have examples of people prophesying, they're coming to you or to somebody else, and I've got a word of, for, from the Lord for you. I, I've got it. I've got a word. For, I've got a word. And we've seen over and over the damage that has happened because of that kind of mindset. Sometimes we don't realize that the same kind of damage happens around knowledge. Sometimes we think we have all the knowledge and we approach people with, I've got the knowledge and we hurt people 
my example earlier of those three men that I was at a retreat with that wrestled with same-sex attraction. When I have the knowledge when I was young that a homosexual went to hell, and that was it. This is how the church damaged and hurt people for centuries. We heard somebody was a homosexual. We said, you're going to hell, and we walked away. We had the knowledge, but we didn't have love. You see, love would take time and listen to these three men's stories Listen to their struggle and their wrestling and realize that I have more respect for a man who wrestles with same-sex attraction and stays in a relationship with his wife for 25 years. That man's not going to hell because he wrestles with same-sex attraction. That would be me, like me saying, all of you out there who struggle with pornography, you're going to hell. And I know there's some people in this room that do struggle with that. Or some, whoever has greed in their life, they're going to hell. Because greed is idolatry. And what is idolatry? If you worship something else, you're going to hell. And I just want you to know the Western church is filled with greed. We, the body of Christ, not only use prophecy and hurt, we use knowledge and hurt. But what we have to remember is this. Love never fails. If you are not sure what to do, like, I, I just need to tell you, when I'm sitting in that room that first night and hearing the stories of these three men wrestling, and the wrestle that they've been with their whole life, I had nothing. I had nothing for them. All I could do was listen. I don't know what happened to the younger one who was thinking about walking away from the church. But by God's grace, I was able to show him and the other two some love. Paul uses the metaphor here when he's talking about love never fails and he talks about a child. He says, when, you know, I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child, but now that I'm a man, I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. And sometimes we think of childish stuff, you know, it's all that childish stuff that little kids, but uh, the other thing I was thinking about as I was preparing for this was, what do ch children do? Children basically say what they've heard from adults. They, don't, they speak what they've heard from adults. You want to find out what some parents believe about an issue? Talk to their child. 
Children don't reason on their own. They have somebody else reason for them. They don't think on their own. They have somebody else think for them. And Paul is saying, hey, stop being a child. It's time to be an adult. Being an adult means you need to think on your own, reason on your own, study on your own. It's time. And the key element here is that love never fails. The last metaphor that Paul uses here in this section is on seeing in a mirror that you don't see clearly when you're looking in a mirror, but we will when we see face-to-face. And so for me, that is, when I look at you, I see Jesus, because you have Jesus in you. Okay? Claire, when I look at you, I see Jesus. Paul, I see Jesus. Lisa, I see Jesus. But you're just a reflection of Jesus, so it's not the complete picture. So, We need to show each other love and grace because when I look at you, I see Jesus, but it's an imperfect picture. But when Christ comes and I'm face to face, then I'll see. Then I'll know. And I I think, I just know when Christ comes again, and I'm standing before him, I'm going to be shaking my head because I'm going to go, wow, did I really get that wrong? I, I thought I knew what I was doing here, but holy cow, I missed it. Forgive me, Jesus. And that's the cool thing Jesus does. Forgive us. Because love never fails. When Christ comes again, I will know fully. So what application is there for us today? The application for me and what I think is important for us is that all of us model intellectual and spiritual humility. What I mean by that is intellectual humility. No matter how much I know, I realize I have so much more to learn. It's the taking the posture of a learner. And it's going, as I'm dialoguing with you, it's taking the posture of, I want to learn from you. The Evangelical Covenant Church has this mantra, where is it written? And sometimes we take that where is it written of prove your point. Show me in the Bible where your belief system is. That's not the heart of it. The heart of it is this. I want to learn from you, so show me where it is written. Intellectual humility. The posture of a learner. Spiritual humility is no matter how much faith I have or I think of I have, my faith is far from perfect. And it means submitting to Jesus who is the author and perfecter of my faith.
So imagine if we as a body, rather than being filled with pride, what if rather than being with, filled with selfishness, What if we focus first on love? What if we took the posture of a learner and said, I want to learn from you. You've got life experience. You've got knowledge that I don't have. I, ne I need to hear you. I need to learn from you. And uh, God has shown me some th things. My faith has increased over the years, and I'm, I'm re really excited. But, but I, I see a faith in you that I don't... Have can can you pray with me? Can 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 you teach me? Can you show me? When we take this posture, then Jesus's prayer of unity, so that the world may know, will come to the surface. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are love. And that you move, your move towards us was out of your love for us. As Eric prayed earlier, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of you, you showed your love for us by dying for us. Father, we want to be a people that loves first, that impacts people with the love of Jesus. Amen.